0: You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. All right, if you have your Bibles, we'll turn to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, and I'm very thankful for the opportunity, I'm thankful for any opportunity to preach God's word. Uh, I've I figured out in life that people do what they want to do. Amen. And 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 I hope you're in a job that you like doing what you do. Amen. And uh, you know, I learned up in North Central South Dakota. Most of the farmers that I was around in North Central South Dakota, uh, they they like to farm. They're farmers. They like talking about farming. You couldn't go down to the co and people weren't talking about grain prices. Couldn't walk into the gas station and they weren't talking about the price of corn or the price of cattle or whatever uh, it, you know, it was. I found out that deer hunters like to talk about deer hunting. Can I get a witness? Amen. I, can I get a witness? Any, any deer hunters here at all? Come on, somebody just put your hand up. Amen. All right, thank you. All right, we got we got a few there. Amen. We like to talk about deer hunting. We I'll share pictures with you after the service. Amen. And uh, preachers like to talk about preaching. Amen. And uh, preachers like to preach. And uh, and and uh, it's it's an exciting thing to be able to take the word of God. It's a very serious thing, but it's a very exciting thing to have the privilege to open up the word of God and take the most exciting book in the world. And to be able to go through that and teach the principles of God's word. So we're going to look at a subject matter tonight that God dealt with my heart about actually last fall. And I think this is the fourth time that I've preached this message. I actually started writing where I preach things because I'm afraid I'll preach the same message at the same place twice. Amen. And I don't want to do that. All right. But Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23 is where we'll take our text here this evening. And the Bible tells us here, I'm actually going to read a couple verses. uh, and, And it's going to look like when you read the text you're probably going to sit back and say, whoa, what is he about to preach to us? I mean, this is a pretty mean text right here, okay? But, but don't worry, I'm, I'm not coming in here to, 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 to you know, rock the boat and blow everybody out, okay? I, but I do want to preach a truth out of these passages that I believe God has put on our heart. So let's read Matthew 23, verse 23. The Bible said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye pay tithe of mint, anise, and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Ye blind guides, which strain at a gnat, and swallow a camel. What an interesting verses. Actually, if you read that whole chapter, that whole chapter is very interesting, as Jesus Christ publicly rebukes the Pharisees of his day uh, for their uh, uh, hypocrisy. And so let's read verse 23 one more time. Let's get our minds focused into the verse tonight. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint, anise, and cummin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done and not to have left the other undone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so excited, we're thrilled, Lord, to be able to stand here behind this pulpit and to be able to preach the Word of God again. And Lord, I pray, Lord, as I've prayed so many times that when I preach uh, to people, Lord, uh, just from the human point of view, and Pastor talked about that some last Wednesday night. Uh, Lord, uh, we can preach to faces, we can preach to eyes, we can preach to ears, but Lord, it's going to take the Spirit of God to work in hearts and to affect transformation of heart for your glory. It's going to take the Spirit of God uh, to demonstrate power, His transforming power in the lives of individuals, and I pray, Lord, that you would do that tonight. Lord, work in our heart this principle, this subject matter that you've dealt with my heart about so strongly. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So several months ago, I think last fall, maybe around September, God really dealt strongly with my heart as I was reading this passage of Scripture. And as I came down to the verse that I read, that phrase "weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith" that really it, it, it arrested my attention. It, I mean, it got my eye, and I couldn't get my mind off it. And for several days and several weeks, I kept thinking about that weightier matters of the law, judgment. And mercy and faith. These are weighty matters. And I began to study that text and I wanted to preach a message on uh, some weighty things that matter. And as I began to put a message together, man, that subject is so broad. As you look in this passage, he talks about judgment, mercy, in faith. And then you look in another gospel and he's speaking the same words, but he uses the words the love of God there. And, And I'm thinking, man, I can't preach in one message on judgment and mercy and faith and the love of God, that's a lot of subject matter. And and really, to be honest with you, when I get done tonight, I'm going to felt like I gave you a whole mouthful just dealing with one of those subjects. But really, God focused me in on that word mercy, and I want to preach on that thought tonight. Mercy matters. Mercy matters, and I, I think if there's ever a time that we need mercy, uh, in the house of God, that we need mercy amongst God's people, that we need to evidence mercy and demonstrate mercy. It's certainly in the days that we are living in. Uh, in in our text here in Matthew 23, just to kind of get the context, Jesus Christ was dealing with the Pharisees, and the Pharisees owned and operated a hybrid form of Judaism, a hybrid form of Judaism that was far removed from the actual law of Moses. There's no doubt when you and I read the law of Moses in the Old Testament and and the New Testament's clear that the law of Moses was a ministry of condemnation and death. The law could not save. It was an impossibility for the law of Moses to save. And The problem with the first covenant is the, The problem wasn't with the law. Let me say it this way. The problem wasn't with the law of Moses. In Hebrews chapter 10, God talking about that old covenant, that first covenant, the law of Moses, God said, for finding fault with them the problem was never the law of God. It wasn't that God made a mistake when he gave the first covenant and said, man, I messed up. I gave people something that they cannot keep. That they can. The problem wasn't God. The problem wasn't the law. The problem is people. He said in Hebrews 10 for finding fault with them. The problem is always on our end. We can't keep the law of God. I, I want to ask you tonight, anybody here kept the law of God perfectly? If so, please raise your hand. I didn't think so. And If you raised your hand, I'm, I'm going to ask you to start pulling your suit coat back, and I, because you and, and, and guys opening your shirts, because I'm going to be looking for some pin feathers. I mean, if you've kept the law perfectly and never sinned, you ought to be growing some wings under there. Amen. Y'all can laugh. Amen. All right. None of us got wings started, right? Uh, uh, none of us alright we've, we've all sinned. Would you agree with that? Amen. All right. Talk, talk back to me tonight. It'll help me, okay? I get nervous when I preach here. I don't know why, so if you talk back, it helps keep me from being nervous. All right. Now, Uh, I'm I'm saying that the problem with the first covenant was that man could not keep it. We're sinners by nature. And sinners sin because they're sinners. And so you know, and I know, that the purpose of God's law uh, was to show men that they were sinners before a holy God and then point those sinners to a coming Redeemer who would save them from the just penalty that was required for breaking the law of God. However, the Pharisees They were using the law of Moses and then adding a whole bunch of laws to the law of Moses, adding a whole bunch of traditions to the law of Moses and telling people, you have to do this to go to heaven. That's legalism. In Matthew 23, our Lord says in our text verse, he he slams the Pharisees, twisted form of religion, as he says, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And, And the Lord called it the Lord just called it the way it was, amen? He didn't mince words. He said it the way it was, and that's what they were. And so, so he said, Y'all will tithe, and I just, he didn't say y'all, all right? He said, he said uh, For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cummin, and have omitted the way to your matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. They were so careful in their tithing according to the law that they were going to the extreme to make sure that no one missed anything. I mean, and and Je- by the way, Jesus said he wa- he wasn't blasting tithing. He said this ought you to have done, but they were going to the extreme. They were tithing mint and anise and cumin. I- that's, you know, Cummins' deal, all right? Here, Annis's deal. Go back to your spice cabinets tonight, ladies, amen, and get the little mint leaves out and get your little tea leaves out, amen, and get out, uh, 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 go in there and get the deal out. And I mean, the Pharisees, it'd be, it'd be the equivalent of Pastor Spencer or the dickens of the church coming to your house and saying, hey, I know you guys put money in the offer plate on Sunday morning, but you didn't tithe out of the spices in your cabinet. I mean, if you got 10 eggs in that refrigerator, we want one, amen? I mean, I mean they were, and if you didn't, I'm telling you, Man, you paid the price. I mean, they had become the law. God was no longer the law of God. They were the law of God, and they were the enforcers of the law of God. And so Jesus is really, uh, he's, he's, he's nailing them. Uh, he's nailing their hides here as he says, man, you guys, this ought you to have done, but not to left the other undone. And, and, and so I want to say that what they would do is take something that was a biblical truth, add a whole bunch of their tradition to it, Uh, and really zero in, and they they would take maybe something that was even uh, a complete truth, but they would make a mountain out of a molehill. They would major on a minor, and in so doing, they would minor on the majors. And so Jesus said, you're so focused on tithing and making sure that everybody gets every little, boy, get them salt and pepper shakers, make sure they tithe their salt, make sure they tithe their pepper. You're making sure everything is so to the nth degree that y'all forgot about judgment and mercy and faith and the love of God. And Jesus said those were weightier matters than even tithing. They were weighty matters. And, 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 so, and really that's what got my eye because there's a lot of things that we look at in our minds and can say this is a weighty matter. But God said this is a weighty matter. Judgment, mercy, faith, and the love of God. Tithing, is it important? Yes. But mercy is far more important. Tithing, is it important? Yes but judgment is far more important. And Then in the very next verse he illustrates, he says, you blind gods would strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. What, he, what he's illustrating is that in his mind, the tithing really was the gnat they were straining at and they were swallowing the camel of having no mercy, having no judgment, having no faith and the love of God. Judgment, as we look at this text, judgment that he said they omitted is justice and equity. And under the law of God, God expected the political and the judicial and the religious rulers to apply judgment impartially and in fairness, in an equitable fashion. But the Pharisees knew nothing of impartiality and fairness. Their message had become so twisted. With their works, salvation, and you got to do this, and you got to do this, and you got to tie to the nth degree, and you got to do this, and don't forget about this. And it got so twisted that Jesus later on in this passage told them, "You've literally shut up the gates of the kingdom of heaven to men, and you won't let people enter in. You won't let people go to heaven." Boy, that'd be awful to have the Lord say that about somebody that you've shut up the gates of the kingdom of heaven. Well, I began looking at that, just that one word, mercy, and began to study that word, and that's what I want to preach on tonight, I, I, and I think we've, we, we've tried our best to lay out the context there. According to Webster, mercy is that benevolence, that mildness or tenderness of heart which disposes a person to overlook injuries or to treat an offender better than he deserves. Can I just stop and say right there, did God treat you better than you deserved? That's mercy, friend. Amen. Uh, mercy is the disposition that tempers justice and induces an injured person to forgive trespasses and injuries and to forbear punishment. Mercy allows a man to inflict less than the law or justice warrants. Boy, I thank God for mercy because the law and justice warranted that I would go to hell for my sins, but mercy stepped in. Amen. And I want to say, I'm starting to feel pretty good. Amen. Uh, Listen, I thank God for mercy tonight. Listen to what Webster said. He said, in this sense, there's perhaps no word in our language precisely synonymous with mercy. That which comes nearest to it is grace. It implies benevolence, tenderness, mildness, pity, or compassion, and clemency. But listen to this. I like this, man. This ought to make a backslidden Methodist shout for the glory of God. Amen. Mercy can only, this is what Webster said, all right? Mercy can only be exercised towards offenders. Now think about that for a minute. Anybody here ever offended the law of God? Anybody here ever trespassed the law of God? See, mercy can be offered to you. But for that crowd of Pharisees that say, look how holy we are, and we've never broken the law of God, and we keep the law of God to the nth degree, they they, they put themselves in a situation where they say, we don't need mercy. And God, I mean, God looked at them one day. He said, I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners to repentance. Amen. Hey, if you're a sinner, you qualify for a savior. Amen. If you're not a sinner, friend, y'all are sinners. But if you think you're not a sinner, what you're saying is, I don't qualify. I don't need a savior. I'm telling you, you're looking at a preacher that needs a savior. You're looking at a man that needs mercy. And by the way, I don't just need mercy in the matter of salvation. I need mercy every day of my life. Amen. Man, we sang, Ryan led us in the song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, and we sang about how His mercies are new every morning. Amen. I thank God for His mercy. So I want to preach then on mercy. Somebody said that judgment is care for that which is right, while mercy is care for those who are wrong. And I really like that. He said, "Man, these are omiti- these omitted. These weightier matters you've omitted: judgment and mercy. Judgment is care for that which is right, but mercy is care for those who are wrong." And I want to tell you, the law of God provi- The law of God, the Old Testament, provided for both. Micah six eight said, "He hath showed thee, man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee? But to do justly. There it is. That's judgment, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God." And so I'd love to preach on these other things, but let me just give you three or four things tonight. It's 7.55. We'll be out of here by 9.30. No, we'll be out of here much sooner than that, all right? I'm going to preach quick, and if I, I, I try to preach slower, but I get excited. I preach fast, and I go slow, and I stutter, so I apologize ahead of time. If it's too fast, talk to the sound guys and put it in slow and listen to it again later on. Amen? And you'll be glad later on it was fast, because otherwise we would be here till 9.30, okay? But, but let me just give you four things real quickly here. Number one, Mercy was obligated by the law of Moses. Now, here's the Pharisees, the religious rulers, the leaders of the day, and, and I mean, I mean, they had nothing, they didn't know what the word mercy meant. There was no mercy in them whatsoever. They were completely void of mercy. And, and But they're claiming to be preaching and promoting and propagating the law of Moses. I mean, if anybody understood the law of Moses, these guys said they did, and everybody looked to them as if they did, but mercy was obligated by the law of Moses. We're taught in Bible college, something called dispensational theology. And we're taught about different dispensations or time periods. And we all understand there's a, there's a big difference between the time of the law and this time that we're living in called grace, amen. But if we're not careful, there are some that would have us to believe that in the time period of the law, while they lived under that Old Testament Judaism, there's some that would have us to believe that it was all law and no mercy. And that's just not true. And there's others that would have us to believe in the dispensation of grace, that it's all grace and mercy and no law. And that's not true. Amen. There's a balance of the scriptures that we read. And in this matter of mercy, in the Old Testament, under under Moses' law, we find that mercy was preached by Moses. Here's the lawgiver. Here's the one that gave the covenant, which God called a ministry of condemnation and death. But even while he was giving the law. Right smack dab in the middle of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. And that is the law, the Ten Commandments, right? And right in the, right in the middle of the Ten Commandments, God threw a phrase in there. God said, and showing mercy on the thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Amen. I mean, right as God gives that first covenant, God said, I want you to know, I'm a merciful God. Amen. Mercy is obligated by the law of Moses. Not only was it preached by Moses, we find that it was provided in the tabernacle. Man, under that old covenant, they had a tabernacle they would set up, and if you remember anything about the tabernacle, they had that outer tent, and then you would go in, and you'd go into that inner tent. Only men could go in there in the Old Testament economy. They would go in, they'd come to a brazen altar, where they'd have the burnt offerings and the sin offerings, and you'd get past there, and there would be that uh, laver where the priest would wash their feet, and they would go into what we call the tabernacle proper. They would go into that building, uh, and, and as they went in to the tabernacle proper, if you went in there... Off on your left hand, I believe, there was a golden candlestick. And over on your right hand, I believe, there was a table of showbread. And then if you look straight forward, there was a curtain in front of you. And in front of that curtain was an altar of incense. And if you walked on through there, and there's only one man that could do it. Once a year, the high priest could walk all the way through there, and he could go through that curtain into what God called the Holy of Holies. Amen. And I'm telling you, if you was to walk into the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament, when you walked in there, there's only one piece of furniture, and it's called the Ark of the Covenant. And inside the Ark of the Covenant was the first covenant. The, I mean, literally, the copy, or not the copy, the Ten Commandments were in the Ark of the Covenant. Amen. And, and a man dare not ever look on the Ten Commandments, because if a sinner looked on the holy law of God, it would bring about his death. Amen. I mean, the Old Testament tells us of a time when two different occasions where they they looked into the Ark of the Covenant, and one time 70,000 men died because they looked into the the Ark of the Covenant and saw the law of God. But God had something on the top of that Ark of the Covenant. You know what it was called? What was it called? The mercy seat. Amen. Amen. Right there in the middle of the Old Testament, right there under that Old Testament economy, under Judaism, under the law of God, and right in that Ark of the Covenant where the law of God was that represents the standard of God, the holiness of God, God knew that man couldn't keep his commandments. God knew that you and I are sinners. God knows what we're made of. And God said, I'm going to put something on top of the law, even in the Old Testament. It's called the mercy seat. Guess, guess why it's called the mercy seat? Because it was a place where someone could sit, someone who would show great mercy. And guess who sat on the mercy seat? That was literally the habitation of Jehovah God, amen. We're talking about God and his Shekinah glory would literally rest on the mercy seat. And I want to just stop and say, thank God. I'm telling you, the Old Testament law obligated that God I mean, uh, mercy's obligated by the law of Moses. It was preached by Moses. It was provided uh, there uh, Mercy was provided for in the tabernacle, and as long Can I just say this before I move on? As long as blood was put on that mercy seat, the mercy of God could continually be shown, and we learn a truth there. And I don't have time to preach on the blood tonight, but there can be no mercy outside of the shedding of blood. It's an impossibility for God to extend mercy outside of the shedding of blood, and so blood was shed over and over and sprinkled in there over and over and over again as God continued to show mercy. his people. All we see was practiced by God in the Old Testament as well. It was preached by Moses, provided in the tabernacle, and practiced by God. I mean, the Old Testament. I mean, listen to some guys preach and teach, and I'm not being smart, but you'd have, you'd come out thinking, man, the Old Testament's all law and condemnation, and there's no mercy. But God showed himself merciful all through the Old Testament because God, in his attribute, God is a merciful God. He's always been a merciful God. And so Psalm 86, 5 said, for thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and notice the wording, plenteous in mercy, amen. I'm telling you, God has always been full of mercy. It's a part of who he is, amen. He's a merciful God. Psalm 136, over and over again in that psalm, you'll read, his mercy endureth forever. For his mercy endureth forever. For his mercy endureth forever, amen. It's the Old Testament. Oh, think about Samson and his sin. And the mercy of God over and over again in the life of Samson. Think about King David and his awful sin. Man, there was no sacrifice provided by the law for the sin that David committed. David committed adultery. David murdered a man. There's only one thing you could do with a man under the Old Testament economy when he committed that kind of sin. It was called stoning. David could not be stoned. David could not offer a sacrifice to God. He said in Psalm 51, sacrifice and offerings, I would, it's not, amen. But what was God interested in? that broken heart, and that contrite spirit, and on that, on those grounds, God in the Old Testament under the law of Moses showed David the mercy of God. Amen. I'm telling you, God's always been a merciful God. Now, let me give you this number two. We got to roll on because it's 802, and I do want to be done before 830. All right, here we go. Number two, it was obligated by the law, and it was omitted by the legalist, and that's what Jesus is talking about right here. He said, man, y'all, you're tithing and tithing and going to the nth degree tithing, and, and if you read the whole chapter, there's other things that were going to the nth degree on, but he said, you're omitting these weightier matters. You're omitting mercy. It was omitted by the legalists. Their ministry, the legalists, the Pharisees of Jesus' day, their ministry desired performance, demanded a penalty, and denied the propitiation of the Lord Jesus Christ, literally. Their ministry condemned the Pharisees, the legalists the ones who said, look how well we keep the law of God. Their ministry condemned the only one who ever kept the law of God perfectly. Jesus was the only one who ever kept the law perfectly, and their ministry condemned the guiltless. They said, crucify him, crucify him. We want to see him die. We want to see him crucified. They condemned the guiltless. They called for his death, and they crucified the Son of God. Their ministry omitted mercy because they understood not what mercy was. A Pharisee. A legalistic person can never show love and mercy because they don't understand what love and mercy is. They, they can't, you cannot, it, it, it's hard to explain, it's hard to demonstrate something to someone else that you've never experienced for yourself. Amen. It, it's just hard. Matthew 9 13, Jesus said, But go ye and learn what that meaneth. He's talking to the Pharisees. He said, I'll have mercy and not sacrifice. They were saying, you better sacrifice this. You better make shorts like that. You better do this just right. You better bring it at the right time. You better have the right animal. You better have this and that. And Jesus said, look here. Hey, guys, I'd rather have mercy than all those rules with your sacrifices. I'd just like to have some mercy. Amen. But he said, go ye and learn what that meaneth. For I'm not come to call the righteous. I come to call sinners to repentance. I'm just, can I just tell you again tonight? If you're a sinner, there's someone who wants to save you tonight. If you've messed up as a child of God, there's someone who wants to show you mercy tonight because it's a part of who he is. Matthew twelve seven again, he said, but if you had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. They condemned the guiltless and called for his death at the same time saying, we believe in the law of God. What about that? It's impossible to demonstrate something you never experienced. So, so how did they omit it? They omitted it in the. And I'm just going to give you one of my subpoints because I really do want to be done by 8:30. All right. Uh, so, and I know you want to be done by 8:30 as well. All right. So they omitted it in the matter of guilt over sin. And again, while we do not believe in a lawless mercy, we would never espouse. Hey, you know, you're you're saved by grace. Go out and live like you want to. That's not what we're saying at all. And you know that. But we don't believe in a merciless law either. The omission of mercy caused the Pharisees to condemn the woman. That was taken in adultery. Their law was merciless, therefore they would stone her. And they brought her before the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're ready to stone her. That's, there's no mercy in their ministry whatsoever. And I wanna tell you tonight, and we can stand up here, and you can sit there and say, yeah, we're the most merciful people in the world. <laughs> but truth be known, we're not always as merciful as what we ought to be. Amen. Amen, Brother Upman, that's right. Amen. We're not always as merciful as we ought to be. Our old Adamic nature is merciless. We, in our own pride, would lift ourselves up by casting others down while engaging in the same transgressions, maybe to a different form or of a lesser form than what they're engaged in. Romans 2, 1 speaks to that. Therefore, that inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, Wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. They're bringing the woman, but where's the man? They said, we got her in the very act. Where's the man? Where's the man? They, they were up to something, all right? Can I tell you the omission of mercy in their ministry? Uh, it, it caused the Pharisees to condemn the woman taken in adultery. It caused the priest to pass by the man who was beaten up and left for dead. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Remember the priest comes by. The priest, the religious leader, he comes walking by, sees the man lying there, all beat up and left for dead. It's a picture of a man that's been beaten up by sin and left for dead. He's laying on the side of the road in the guilt, shame, and condemnation of his sin. And the priest and religion and religion and religion passes by and does nothing. They offer the man nothing. Can I tell you where mercy is omitted? Where, where there's no room for the mercy of God? Where it's all human effort to get to heaven? Where it's all human effort to somehow please God and there is no mercy that can ever because I never need to be a recipient of the mercy of God? Uh, when, when you have that kind of an environment, uh, you have nothing to offer people. Uh, look, we're living in a world that needs hope. We're living in a world that needs, that needs mercy because we're living, and you are living in a world filled with sinners. If you're all living in the same world I, I live in, I go to the gas station and people are sinning all around me. I go into Walmart and people are sinning. I go to work and I hear people sinning and people cussing and people swearing. I was at the barber shop today and the barber, I'm trying to talk to her about church and, and, and going to heaven and she's telling how when her husband gets home from work, she's going to have to try to wind him down with a glass of whiskey. And, and, you, and you know what I did? I said, let me just tell you something. No, no, that's not what I did. Amen. You see, that's what the law would do. But God wants to show mercy. Amen. And so listen to what I'm saying, uh, man, the, uh, where, where, where mercy is omitted, hopelessness reigns, where mercy is omitted, uh, discouragement. Uh, let me say it this way, where mercy is omitted, hopelessness reigns and discouragement and depression and even death are the offspring of hopelessness, they are. We, we, we are creatures that need mercy. And can I tell you, the people that are outside this church, that have not darkened the door of this church yet, yeah, they need mercy too. And the people that are the vilest of sinners in your neighborhood, they need mercy too. We need to be a merciful people. I'm just telling you that mercy matters. Well then, let me get to my third point here and just about my last point. We find that mercy, it's obligated by the law and it's omitted by the legalists, but it was observed by the Lord. Notice there was mercy in his teaching. That's what made Jesus so different. He comes on the scene, and everybody else is saying, do this, and everybody else is holding everybody to this standard of perfection, and this standard of holiness, and we're judging you when you come to church by this, and this, and this, and this, and, this, and whether you're at our level or not. And Jesus Christ shows up on the scene, and his, his philosophy was different. His ideology was different. His message was different. Amen. And Jesus, he, he said, blessed are the merciful. Amen. They didn't know nothing about mercy in that day. I'm telling you, the Jews had got so bad in their religion, they were, they were akin to what some of the Islamic terrorists are today and some of those Sharia law-promoting Islamists are today. I mean, buddy, if you crossed the line, they'd cut your head off for it. That's how merciless they were. But Jesus comes on the scene, and he said, Blessed are the merciful, for ye shall obtain mercy. In Colossians 3.12, he said, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies. Kindness, that's how we're to be known. Eastside Baptist Church, we're to be known as being merciful people, kind people, loving people, gracious people. We're not telling you, we're not saying you ignore sin, but we're not saying that you try to judge people into living right, amen. You've You've got to show them the mercy of God and let them experience the mercy of God, and God will begin to grow them, amen. He will. Well. James 3.17 said, the wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, and it's full of mercy. I like that. Full to the brim. Wisdom that's from above. If the wisdom that you act with on the job site and interact with with your family and friends and your circle of friends, if the wisdom that you're living with and acting with and, 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 and uh, every, your actions and reactions are based on wisdom that's not full of mercy, it's not wisdom that's from above. The wisdom from above is full of mercy. Can I ask you this? Can I ask you this, men? Would your wife look at you and say, I've got a merciful husband? Ladies, would your husbands look at you and say, I have a merciful wife? I mean, full of mercy. She's she's operating with wisdom that's from above. How about your co workers? Would your co workers look at you and say, That man's different? That man is a Christian. How do you know he's a Christian? I watch how he acts, and here's the key. I watch how he reacts when people who know what he believes come and try to scorn him and mock him and try to jab him and try to push his button, and I watch how he reacts. That man is a merciful man. I'm telling you, it's easier to preach than practice, but that's Christianity and shoe leather, friends. God wants us to be a merciful church. Is our church known in the community as that church that I'm telling you, if you don't toe the line, whoo, or are we known... As a church that evidences the mercy of God to those around us. I want to tell you what God wants us to be evident. He wants us to have. He says too much about it. We don't want God to look at us one day and say, Esau Baptist Church, you hypocrites. Man, you tied to the nth degree, but you omitted this thing called mercy and the love of God. No, 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 not me. I don't want that for our church. Amen. I want our church to be known by God as a merciful church. Amen. A church that showed mercy. How many times have I counseled? Uh, a husband or a wife who had an unsaved spouse, and they were in there, and their button had been pushed, and I mean, they're like, I'm tired of I, I, I'm going to just tell them the way it is, or, or I, you know, preacher, you need to come and visit my husband and just tell him how it is. I want to see him get saved, and I thought, that attitude, you'll never see that man get saved, amen. God wants us to be merciful, merciful, merciful. You mark it down. There was mercy in his teaching. There was mercy in his touch. Man, I'm telling you, this I don't have time to preach all this stuff, all right? It's just too much good stuff here. But if you was to read Matthew chapter number 9, verse 27 to 31, don't go there, but if you was to go there, you would find there was a blind man that came to Jesus. You, you, you know what this man was saying? He was saying, have mercy on me, thou son of David. Do people know you to be a man of mercy? Do the people come to you looking for mercy? Amen. They knew Jesus was a man of mercy. He said, have mercy on me. You know what Jesus did? Jesus leaned out. And he touched that man. Actually, Jesus spit in the ground and took that dirt and spit in it. And then he rubbed the man's eyes and they told him to go. And I'm telling you, there was mercy. What happened? The man obeyed God. He was healed. Now, now in the Old Testament, i got to give you this. I have to give you this. In the Old Testament, God asked his Old Testament prophet, God asked him, if in the process of your ministry, if a priest is walking into the tabernacle and, and he's clean and he's ready to do the ministry, he's holy and he bumps into something that's unclean, does he, being clean, make that unclean thing clean? And the answer was no. The unclean always makes the clean unclean. Then the Lord turned it around to Old Testament Israel and said, what about it's this way? What about if he's unclean, and he bumps into something that's clean? Will the thing that's clean make him, that's unclean, now clean? And again, the answer was no. When humans are involved, it don't matter which way you turn it. Clean gets defiled. But when Jesus Christ gets involved, it don't matter which way you turn it. The unclean gets made clean. Because not only did Jesus, in this case, he leans out and touches those men's eyes, and they're healed. The unclean was made clean. But in a case where a woman that had an issue of blood for years, she came to the Lord. He didn't touch her. Man, she just reached out and said, I just want to touch the hem of his garment. And she got him. Amen. And you know what happened? She was healed. The unclean. In the first case, the clean touched the unclean, and, and the eyes could see again. In the second place, the unclean woman touched the clean, and she was healed of her infirmity. I'm telling you, I don't care which way it is with the Lord Jesus Christ. but you can't come into contact with the God of mercy and leave the same as you came. Amen? He'll clean you up. He'll clean your life up. I'm, that's just what he'll do for you. Amen? He's a God of mercy. But then I want to say, and by the way, and, and this is so important because I'm telling you, We we are to be like Jesus Christ in all manner of conversation, and we we ought to be holy, and we ought to be loving, and we ought to be merciful all at the same time. Amen. That's what God's looking for in the lives of his children. Amen. I believe it was Gandhi that made this statement, I would have become a Christian if it wasn't for Christians. What about that? Man, I hate it. Somebody on the other side said, I ought to become a Christian, but that James wrote, man, that guy, he turned me off. Man, he was so merciless. He was so judgmental. He was so cruel. I hope that we don't portray ourselves in that fashion. Then lastly, there was mercy in his his teaching. There was mercy in his touch, but there was mercy in his tree. Amen? I want to thank God. That's where we have the greatest example of mercy ever. Man, you all understand. Has it become old story to you and I? Is this so we just kind of brush it out and say, oh, you know, yeah, we know that. Jesus Christ, he came to this world 2,000 years ago. You know why? Because he loved those people that had broken his law. He loved those sinners that have sinned against him. You sinned against God tonight, he loves you. You say, well, I'm saved by the grace of God, I've messed up. Guess what? He still loves you, amen? You can't me- listen, you can't mess up. If you're still alive and breathing, you can't mess up. But if you fess up, he won't forgive you, amen, because he's got mercy, that he wants to show to you as he, he, well, I'm telling you, he wants to show your mercy. Amen. Well, there's mercy in His tree. It's a distinguishing attribute of the supreme being. And nowhere is mercy seen greater than in Calvary. Galatians 3.13 said, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. What? Christ was made a curse? Oh, yes. Jesus Christ, listen, is there anybody here tonight that you've got guilt in your mind right now because of the sins you've committed in the past? Can I tell you Jesus Christ died for that sin? Can I tell you, maybe you're here and saved by the grace of God, and you say, man, I messed up as a child of God. Can I tell you the same Jesus that died to save you, died to forgive you, amen, if you just come back and confess it? You say, it can't be that easy. I'm telling you, it can be. 1 John 1-9 said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Why? Because he's a merciful God. God wants to forgive us. God, I'm, I'm telling you, friend, God loves us. God wants to, he ain't saying, "God, out and live in sin so I can forgive you. But the fact is, as hard as you try to live right, you're going to mess up. And when you do, you can come to him and fess up, and he'll forgive you. I wonder tonight, you know, before I got saved, how many of you ever read the book Pilgrim's Progress? Ever read that book Pilgrim's Progress? Great book. Man, before I got saved, I read that book. And they had Pilgrim, and he was walking and walking. Out of the city of destruction and through the, all the places he went until he come to Calvary. Remember he, remember, he has that burden on his back. Just everywhere he goes, he has that burden. And it just gets bigger. And it just weighs him down. And he's trying to go. I'm telling you, friends, that's how I felt like before I got saved. I am not kidding. 15 years old, 16 years old, I knew I was a sinner, and I knew I deserved to go to hell. I mean, my dad was a pastor. I mean, I'd heard the gospel preached my whole life. I knew what I was doing was wrong. I knew I offended a holy God, and the weight and the guilt of my sin was pressing down on my shoulders. I'm telling you, in November of 1991, when I got beside my dad's bed as a 17-year-old preacher's son, and I asked Jesus Christ to forgive me, I'm telling you, it don't happen to everybody the way it happened to me, but I'm telling you, it felt like that burden that pilgrim talks about, rolling. I'm telling you, man, I got up, I was lighter when I got up than when I got on my knees, amen. There was a burden that was gone. It was the guilt of my sin. Can I tell you tonight, listen to what I'm saying, there's been times since I got saved, man, I'm ashamed of those times. I wish to God I could go back and turn back the clock different times after I got saved, where I failed God, where I've sinned. Romans 6 said, what fruit had you then And those things where you're now ashamed? And I hate it. And I wished I could turn the clock back. And I wished I could go back and say, I didn't do this or I didn't do that. But I'm telling you. There's never been one of those times, but when the holy and the sweet spirit of God put his finger very gently on the sin of my heart and said, thou art the man, and you've sinned against me, and what are you going to do? And I'm telling you, that guilt's built up. You don't want to tell others. You don't want to tell your preacher. You don't want to tell your family, and you sure don't want to tell God, but I'm telling you, when you get on your knees before the God of heaven, amen, and just come clean with God, I promise you, man, there's mercy. There's mercy. You say, why? Because he's full of mercy. Because he's the New Testament Ephesians 2 said he's rich in mercy. Because Psalms 86 said he's plenteous in mercy. What I'm telling you is where sin abounds, your sin, my sin, grace and mercy much more abounds. Amen. I'm thanking God. He went to a cross. He took the curse of my sin upon him. By his stripes, Isaiah 53 said, we were healed. He took my sin. He tasted death for me so that I, by the grace and the mercy of God, would never even have to see death. That's what Calvary did for me. You think, I, you think I'm going to quit on God today? You think I'm going to say, I'm quitting living for God? Ah, uh-uh. Man, he's shown me too much mercy. He's shown me too much love. I think I'm going to keep living for him. Amen. I'm telling you tonight, mercy, there's mercy in his tree. Well, let me just say this, and I'm done. Mercy matters. It matters. It mattered to the woman taken in adultery. It mattered to the blind man that needed his sight. It mattered to a dying thief on the cross, amen, it mattered to me in November of 1991 when I got on my knees and begged for mercy, and it's mattered to me many times since as I got on my knees again as a child of God and said, Lord, God, forgive me. Oh, God, forgive me. And I I can promise you, there's never been a time where in my heart I said, oh, God, forgive me. I promise you. There's never been a time I failed God, but God hasn't been faithful to forgive me, amen, when I called upon him. You say, why? Why? Because he's God and because he's merciful. The message you and I is go and do likewise, amen. We need to be merciful. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.